Welcome to the Compass Church Podcast with Pastor Tim Jacobs, a ministry of Compass Church with your Arizona. Join us now as we look into God's Word to be challenged and changed. It's a beautiful day, and this is the last time I get to do that because we're wrapping up this series today, so I just really wanted to come out with a bang, you know? How are you guys doing this morning? There you go. You fired up? Yeah. Listen, don't be blown off your hands and fingers this week, okay? It's July 4th, and you're going to have a good time, but just be careful around the fireworks. And you know, that's something that Mr. Rogers would say, I think, anyway. You know, I don't know if he had any shows about teaching kids how to properly handle explosives, but... Here, but can I just say something, though, because I got to get this off my chest, and especially since it's the last week of our series um, on Won't You Be My Neighbor. People, and they're well-meaning people, but they've been coming up to me, and they're like, you know, did you know that Mr. Rogers was actually in the Vietnam War? He was a sniper um, in the, in the, in the you know, he was a Navy SEAL, Navy, Navy SEAL sniper, thank you, and he had 14 confirmed kills. And the reason that he wears cardigan sweaters is because his arms are all tatted up with all this stuff about your mother and everything, you know? It's not true. Okay, just see, that is a total urban legend. Mr. Rogers, and God bless our Navy SEALs, especially our snipers, right? But, but, but God, but, but, uh, uh, who, what's his name? Who's this guy? Mr. Rogers was never a Navy SEAL. During the Vietnam War, he was Mr. Rogers, right? Oh, I still messed this up. This is the second week in a row. It's the second week in a row. And I didn't mean to. I swear I didn't mean to do it. Um, I was getting all wrapped up in my story. I'm a little bit fired up, as I already said. But I got to tell you, so just so you know, he, that, that's just the truth. So if you hear that, you can be polite. And it does have a lot to do with what we're going to talk about today in terms of, you know, like maybe correcting people at certain times for things and when do you do it and when do you not. That being said, I do want to tell you, oh, if you have a Bible, turn to Philippians chapter 2. It's towards the back. So if you open it in the middle, you just go to the right and you'll find it eventually. Or you can find it on your, you know, mobile device that should be silenced. And um, I want to tell you, and I admit this fully, that we threw a lot at you the last couple weeks. We're like, because we get excited about stuff and then thing, opportunities come up and we're like, okay, we do all these things at one time. But we gave you an opportunity to give, um, you know, socks and underwear and all that stuff. And then we gave you an opportunity to give water and food. Because in our community, in our local community right now, we have kids that are out of school and they don't get the school lunch program and that puts a hardship on families. And so um, we had you guys, you know, we, we went out and kind of said, let's do this. And so many of you responded and I want to say thank you. The food bank was so grateful for the supplies that we were able to provide for them. And then on not only that, but you know, last week we got, um, a, right, we started off, we had 11 Yazidi children that got sponsored just, just last week alone. And the reason why, I, and at first I heard, well, 11 doesn't seem like that much. But when you think about it, that's 11 families here who on the spot decided that they wanted to make a monthly commitment, you know, in perpetuity basically until, you know, they grow up um, to supporting these 
these children so they can get a healthy meal, they can get good education, they can hear about the good news of Jesus. These kids who some of them have had their families murdered in front of them, they've lost their homes, they've lost everything, they're living in northern Iraq, these Yazidi refugees, and, um, or these Syrian refugees that, that, uh, that are living in, that, in this area, and it's an amazing thing that, that you guys stepped up, and so many of you haven't necessarily decided, but you took information, and I'm really proud of our congregation because you became the neighbor in a tangible way. Because when a kid puts on the pair of socks that you bought, I mean, that's a real thing, right? That's, that's a pair of socks that he didn't have. Like, that had to be given. That didn't just come out of nowhere. That didn't just, just appear out of the sky. Because of what you did, neighbors in our community who are in need have food and they have water. Because it doesn't just come out of the sky. And what you bought and what you held with your hands got transferred to somebody else and you gave them like a special kind of grace in that regard. You were a good neighbor. You didn't just consider your own interests, but you considered the interests of others. And I wonder that when you did that, when you made those purchases, if while you were doing it, something happened inside of you. You know, like, like, like you came to this, this sobering moment that you were doing something that was bigger than you, that you were doing something beyond yourself, that you were doing something important, and maybe your heart enlarged just a little bit in that moment. You moved the needle a little more towards a world that can appear gracious to people who need to see it. But whether you recognized it or not, while you were giving, you were actually acting like God. Why? Because God gives. Because God is a giving God. And so I think the reason why when we give and when we serve and when we look out for the interests of other people, something kind of happens to us that kind of deepens us and kind of enlarges our hearts at the same time. And the reason why is because when we're doing that very thing, we're acting like God. And God has his imprint on us. We were made in his image. And that's why there is this joy and this fulfillment because you're doing something that's bigger than you. Even atheists recognize this. This is why an atheist can do the same thing and still have this sense. Why? Because they still have the imprint of God on them. I mean, you don't have to believe in the existence of your father. You'll still act like your father sometimes, whether you know it or not. And when you do, it's kind of like you're just doing what, what kind of comes naturally or, or kind of how you were made to function, how you were wired. And things are brought into alignment, it just feels like this is the essence of kind of why you were made in some kind of weird sense. And so I want to start off today by making the statement that we were created to act like God. We have his imprint, which is why our passage today is going to just kind of follow suit with that whole thought and say that we were, we were called, we are called to act like God. You say, well, how does God act? Well, God's a pretty smart guy. He knew we'd be asking that question, so he gave us the perfect example we could follow by becoming one of us, being named Jesus. And so he's the perfect image of a human being that is the pattern that we can follow. 
And the more that you are able to follow that pattern and capture the essence of what is at the heart of Jesus, the more your heart enlarges and the more your life just becomes clear as to why you're really here in the first place. And it unlocks just an enormous amount of wisdom for you and clarifies all of this mess. So if you're here today and you feel like, man, I just, I feel like my life isn't meaningful. I feel like I'm just lacking, um, you know, purpose in life and I just, just, things are just joining. I don't even know why I'm here. We have a pattern and that's exactly what this scripture is going to talk about. And so he says in verse three of Philippians chapter two, He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So there's the pattern, right? He's saying, act like Jesus, in your relationships. Well, how do you know what that's like? Well, he tells us. Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Meaning that his stature as God, he did not utilize that stature when it came into conflict with what it was that he needed to do for us. That's an amazing thing. But instead of that, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. So God becomes a servant. A slave is actually the more real translation. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself. God humbled himself. By becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Like this has got to really blow you away. Because if this is God, and this is actually what God did, and we are being urged to act like him, because when we act like him, we're acting as though we're living, in a sense, our purpose out. We got to... We have an amazing opportunity, but it's also a little bit scary if you ask me because what Jesus did does not necessarily seem like the popular thing to do today. So there's two qualities that I want to pull out of this passage that if you can get this, I think is going to bring tremendous clarity and and meaning and gravity and focus into your life and is going to make you someone who really is a good neighbor, as a neighbor that you'd actually want to be around yourself and meaning that if you can kind of Build these qualities into your life in a sense that you will be someone who will never be hurting for real relationships. You'll never be hurting for friends. You'll never be hurting for people who will seek you out and want to be around you because of what they see in you because you remind them of the very one who made them, whether they even make that connection or not. So I almost called this sermon as opposed to becoming the neighbor, uh, whatever I called it, um, the neighbor you wish you had. Rather than calling it that, I almost called it um, being the neighbor that no one will report to the cops or the HOA. (laughs) Because everybody would like to have a neighbor that they wouldn't have to call the cops on or report to the HOA. 
But I didn't call it that because that's like kind of passive, you know? I mean, as long as you mow your lawn and you, you know, don't play your music too loud and you just kind of maybe once in a while wave, you'll be that neighbor. It's not that hard, right? So it's, it's kind of passive, and I think that's not what we're looking for. We're looking for something more active. We're looking for something more engaging when we look at this. And so what, what do we do? How do we um, become the neighbor that we wish that we had, that everybody wants to have, the friend that everybody wants to have, the person in their life that everyone wishes they could have? How do we become that person? Two qualities, and it's very explicit. First of all, in the, uh, in the passage, in the first thing we have to do is we have to be people who are pursuing humility. Humility. And you're going, oh, I came to church. And they have to talk about humility. Don't worry. I want you to know I am very good at talking about humility. In fact, I'm probably the best I know <laughs> when it comes to humility. I am proud of my humility. So <clears throat> I'm very good at it. So anyway, no, I'm kidding. But I'll, I'll tell you. But, but so he says, pursuing humility. Well, what does that look like? And what does it mean? Well, he kind of gives us the contrast first. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. What does he mean by that? Because a lot of times when we come to humility, here's why everyone hates it. Because we go, we equate it with weakness. We equate it with passivity, and we equate it with dumbing down what it is we really want because we feel like whatever we want is selfish, right? So it's like, okay, if I'm going to be humble, it means I'm not really going to be that aggressive. I guess I'm not supposed to be assertive, and I'm not supposed to be too talkative, which is a really bummer if you're an extroverted person and a talkative person and a driven and assertive person because it's like, I guess I have to chip away at my rough edges of my natural wiring personality because I'm supposed to be humble and let other people win and let other people in the spotlight and not try too hard because that means I'm being selfish. And people think that's what it means. And I'm here to tell you that's not at all what it means. Because it says, it says, do nothing out of selfish ambition. It doesn't say do nothing out of ambition. We are absolutely to be ambitious people. We should be driven people. We only have so much time on this planet, and you should seize every opportunity you can to do what you can and develop your gifts and skills that God's given you. The difference is selfish ambition, which has to do with contentiousness and succeeding at the expense of others. And there's a difference between, like, for example, there's a difference between competition and rivalry. And selfish ambition has to do with rivalry, but competition is just competition. So it's been like a month since I gave you a CrossFit illustration, so I'm due for another one. If I give you too many, it starts getting really annoying. But I'm like a super mediocre CrossFitter person. I just show up. I just show up and try not to die. So, but there's another guy um, in our class. We have this little 530 class. And uh, there's another guy, and he and I are about... Um, the same, you know, I'm, I'm better, but um, no, no, he, he and I are about the same in terms of our capabilities. So we kind of go neck and neck a lot. And, and so the other day we were doing this one workout and I was like, we, just, we were hot and, you know, it's a timed workout and how fast can you go and how much can you do? And I'm looking over at this guy and I'm a little bit behind him. And I'm like, oh, and I really want to beat him because there's no better way for me to start the day than to beat JD, Right. Like, if I beat him, I, I know my whole day is going to go good. And he feels, I think, a lot the same way about me. If, if he can beat me, he'd be like, this is a great start to my day. So, so every morning, it's like one of the first things that I do. So I'm watching him, I'm behind him, and I'm like, I'm like, oh, I'm trying so hard to keep up with him and beat him so I can have a good day. And he's, and he's going and going, and I'm like, when will this guy stop? But I would, there's no way I would have worked as hard as I did had it not been for him working as hard as he could. And finally, when the thing's over, and I think he beat me by a little bit because I think he cheated. Um, but anyway, 
He comes up to me and he's like, dude, you were killing me, man. He's like, I was so tired and I wanted to quit so bad and I was looking at you and I knew you were right behind me and I'm like, oh, dang it, Tim, you know, you're like coming up behind me and I've got to win. And so I was, he worked twice as hard as he wanted to because I was right on his tail and I worked twice as hard as I wanted to because I was trying to beat him. And there's nothing wrong with that. Competition makes us better. Competition makes us stronger. That's a good thing. So here's the point. If you're up for a promotion, you should try, and you want to get it, and you got this between you and eight other people, you try your best because the, the company needs the best person for the job. And if that's you, you don't, I mean, being humble doesn't mean, oh, I'll just let someone else get it. No, you put your best foot forward and you get that thing. Because you show what humanity is capable of, you know? And so it's the same kind of thing. If you're up for a promotion, do what you can to be the top. If you're on the track team, be, be the first place. Run as fast as you can and win the thing. If you're playing Fortnite, take out all the other people who are playing Fortnite, you know? Give them something better to do. There's probably something else they can do with their time, so kill them and so they can go do something productive. Um, if you don't know what I'm talking about, you know, I don't, I don't even know what I'm talking about. I've never played Fortnite, but I think you're just supposed to kill people, right? Isn't that what you're supposed to do? I don't know. Um, I played it once, and I, and I, I got killed. <clears throat> so I stopped playing. But here's the thing. That's not what we're talking about. It's self, it's, it's the kind of, it's the kind of win-lose. I want to win so I can be the best. I, I have ambition that I want to win at all costs, at any cost. I'll do whatever it takes. I'll throw my ethics aside so that you lose and everyone knows I'm the best and it's all about me, 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 me. That's the idea of selfish ambition. And Paul's like, no one likes a person like that. You never get anywhere like that. Don't, that's not what you should do. The second thing he says is vain conceit. And this has to do with empty pride and desire for praise, attempting to be what you're not. Our friends in Texas would say, you're the kind of person who's all hats and no cattle, right? You talk a big game, but there's no reason anyone should celebrate you. You just want to be celebrated because it's you. And this is really hard for us in our culture right now because we, we never think about attention being something that can be earned. It's always attention for attention's sake. And it's just the way that it is. So like June 21st, June 21st was the first day of summer, right? But it was also, you know what else it was? It was National Selfie Day. So this is the day that you take a picture of yourself. Now that's great, that's fine, but there's some people who think that every day is National Selfie Day, right? Look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. And so like, and again, if that's you, I'm not here to like totally make you feel terrible, but understand the water in which we're swimming in. It is all around us. And there is this idea in society, the goal that you know you're successful if just people know who you are. You don't have to do anything of merit or value. So you just, you just constantly want to, throw. so the idea is like, I want people to celebrate me. And if everybody knows my struggles and my story and who I am and I express myself and everyone recognizes me, then I have made it. And nobody knows why. They just want to be seen all the time. And there's ways that we do this that are very subtle, especially when it comes to conversations, you know? Like, you can slip little things in to conversations so easily, and, and pride comes out so easily. So like the other day, 
So I was, we were in Las Vegas for a few days at this conference for our, our, our denomination, um, our little district, you know, which comprises a few states. And we had a little gathering in Las Vegas at a church plant in North Las Vegas. We were at a school. But anyway, we were out, there's a few of us of, our, of the district staff of which I am a part. And um, we were out to dinner at this one place. And there's this gal sitting next to me and we were talking. She was saying how she was diagnosed with really low blood pressure. And most people are diagnosed like they get high blood pressure. She's got really low blood pressure. So her do- doctor's like, you gotta throw more salt in your food and whatever else. And it's like, that's a bummer for you. Um, but she's talking about, you know, her low blood, blood pressure. And I'm just like, I'm just being me. You know, I'm talking and, and I said, um, I, I said, oh, I said, I said, you know, just, so you get like, you know, lightheaded and stuff. She goes, yeah. I said, yeah, so that happens to me. So I was like, I'll get up really fast and uh, I'll get kind of dizzy. And, and my doctor says, you know, it has to do with my resting heart rate. Now here's the thing. If you have a low resting heart rate, that means like you're really fit and you're in good shape. Like Lance Armstrong, his heart beats like once every three seconds, right? So I kind of throw this little like unsolicited knowledge bomb. Like, yeah, my doctor says it's because my, my resting heart rate. And she turns around and she goes, oh, so you're going to start bragging about your resting heart rate right now? And she just, bam, like tags me, right? totally exposes me. And I'll go, oh my gosh, like, she caught me, right? She called me out in front of everybody, and I'm like, oh, I'm not, no, I don't even know what my heart resting heart rate is. It's just like, I was saying that, you know, I don't even know what that means. I was just like, that's what he told me. <laughs> like, dude, I mean, she's a sharp woman, right? She's just like, she, and uh, we were joking about it later, and she kind of felt, she, I wasn't trying to call you out. I go, well, you did. <laughs> my gosh, like my wife is the only one that I know who, who has ever been able to just, boom, just sucker punch me like that and, and call me out on this subtle little stratification move I was trying to play about, <laughs> yeah, I got, I got a problem, you know? Like, I am in such great shape that I can't even stand up too fast. I'll pass out because my heart is so awesome. <laughs> Like, that's what I was doing at Outback Steakhouse while I was eating, like, salmon smothered in bacon, you know? What is wrong with me? And it was so funny because I realized, like, I do that. That's who I am. And I don't even realize. And so, like, the whole rest of the week, I was, like, all, you know, self-conscious about it. And I was like, oh, you know, I don't want to. Because it's just natural. As I was studying this passage, I go, oh, my gosh, it's so easy for us to take the focus of a conversation and sh- put all the spotlight back on us. And we do it, we do it in the most subtle and clever little ways, right? But, but here's the challenge, right? Like, how, would you ever evaluate that and say, could you actually be someone who lets someone else tell a story and you have a better one and then you don't share it? Because you just let them like win that moment because it doesn't matter. But you've, uh, you've all been in situations where someone tells a story, you, got a be- you know, someone's got a better one, they put, well, yeah, you think that's good. Huh, that's nothing. Well, I don't even know why you shared that because I got a better one right now. And, and, it's, and, it all, and it's all vain conceit, right? I'm not saying there's like, you know, it's cool to go back and forth, but you know what I'm talking about. And so here's the thing that I want to challenge you with. Because what he says is, he says, in humility, value others above yourself. Just value them more than you value yourself. So what does humility mean anyway? Well, humility isn't thinking less of yourself. As it's been said, humility isn't thinking less of yourself. It's what? Thinking of yourself less. 
That's all it is. You know, it's not thinking too highly of yourself. It's not thinking too lowly of yourself. And as C.S. Lewis said, it's actually just not thinking of yourself much at all. You just don't walk around obsessed with yourself. And that's really hard to do when your phone has a function on it where you push a button and you get an instant mirror all the time. (laughs) Where you can push a button when it's just right. And if it's not good, you can take another one. And it's not good, you can fix the light and you can edit it and crop it and put a filter on it and then blast it out. So all of your friends who go, oh, I wish I looked as good as that person. I wish I was eating that person's dinner. <laughs> I wish I was driving that person's car. I wish I was dating that person's, you know, girlfriend or whatever. Like, look at how hot my wife is, you know? Yeah, <laughs> your wife is nasty compared to my wife. You know, this is, the kind of, this is the kind of message that we're sending to people. Look at my wife, she's really hot. I took this picture 15 times and put a filter on her, but she's still really hot. <laughs> this is the last service, so I'm getting it. <laughs> that was not in the notes, baby. But what I'm trying to say, I'm just, I'm just saying, I'm just, this is the water we're swimming in. You could not do this 30 years ago. You took one picture with a, with a little flat camera, took it to Kodak, waited three days for them to develop it, and if it sucked, it sucked. Like, this is my wife. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I promise you she looks better in real life, right? That's <laughs> what you do. Okay. So how do you develop humility? Well, I was trying to think about, like, what do you do? The best thing you can do, I, I was trying to rack my brain in, like, a practical thing. I think that what you do, it can, be, it can be really boiled down to this. Practice doing good things, noble things, valuable things, cool things, impressive things that no one will know about. Well, why do them in the first place if no one's going to know about it, right? Do good stuff and don't tell anyone. That's really hard because like, really? I mean, do good, but shouldn't people know what's going on in my, like, shouldn't people, this is important for people to know. It's kind of like, I mean, if a tree falls in the forest and no one's there to hear it, does it make a sound, right? If I do a good thing and there's no one there to hear about it, was it actually a good thing? Should I have done it? Yeah, I mean, this is the hard question because it's like, what do you do? And here's what happens because you're in that situation where you've done something important and significant and now you want people to know. So they go, wow. And I know it's not always bad, but you want people to go, you want praise for it. And I want to challenge you to practice being someone who does something significant and good and sacrificing and serving and giving and then forget that you did it. And then when you remember that you did it in conversation with someone and you're in a group and this is your chance to go bam and get all the adulation and praise to just sit there and shut up and say nothing and feel that tension between like, "Mm, I want to tell everybody how awesome I am and just let the moment pass and feel that feeling of not getting the praise. Feel that feeling of not getting the adulation, of not getting the recognition, and doing it anyway, and learn how to sit in that. Because if you can learn how to sit in that, you will get used to it, and you will become a more resilient and mature person, and you won't be so enslaved to the dopamine rush that comes from someone clicking like, either metaphorically or in reality, to you. You'll kick the habit. 
This then leads me to the second quality. The first one was pretty uh, obvious. It was humility. Practice doing good things that no one will know about, but that requires another quality. And I would say the best way I can try to make it as simple as possible, and we, I think we see this in the passage, is developing discipline. I've got to be developing discipline. Because he says, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Why? See, because you've got to develop discipline because if you're going to look not only to your own interests but to the interests of others, you've got to increase your capacity and your ability to be able to handle yourself and your issues. Not that you keep them all inside. You should be, you know, we should be leaning on each other. But you know what I'm saying. Not living your life to where everyone has to bail you out and, and, you know, and the conversations aren't always about you and the problems aren't always centered on you and you're not always the one that needs to borrow money and, you know, and have some emergency that everyone has to change their schedule in life to, to help you. But you've developed the capacity where you're just not in that place and now actually you're the one that can begin to allow other people to have the focus and issues put on them and you can actually help them. But that does, doesn't happen overnight. It requires a certain level of discipline. And this is why, for example, fasting, as an example, is so important. And why do I bring up fasting? First of all, I'm terrible at fasting. I actually, I fast like once a day between the hours of 8 a.m. and 9 a.m. <laughs> I'm great at that. But after that, I start going. Now, I, and I kind of half kidding, but I really, I should actually do that more in my life, and I don't, and I make all kinds of excuses. But it's like, that's, I'm, never look at me as a pattern of how you should fast. So I, that, I'm just, you look at other people that are way better. But I should probably, but here's why. Here's why it's so important. Because what happens is when you go without food and you begin to realize that you've gone without food, your body says, I need food really bad. And you knee-jerk respond to that, that, that scarcity that you feel, right? And you are enslaved to your appetite. And you obey it and you feel it, right? But when you fast, you learn to, as I said before, sit in that tension of an unfulfilled desire and sit in that tension of pain, and sit in that tension of longing, and you wrestle that longing to the ground, and you pin it down there, and you hold it, and it starts to submit itself to the lordship of Jesus. It starts to, you start to bring that desire under the obedience of God. So now obeying God or in this case, the willpower to say, I'm going to pray, I'm going to submit myself to God, and I'm going to go without food for a period of time. I'm teaching myself that hunger is not my God. And when you do that, you actually become stronger, not weaker. And then that applies to every other, like, um, sense of longing that we have, the sense of, you know, appreciation. I want more appreciation. I want more respect. I want, um, you know, I'm really angry at this person, and so I'm going to get them back. And all of these feelings that just will, like, like, like needing something to eat at 2.30 in the afternoon, you know, so you just reach for something because you don't even think about it. It's these knee-jerk um, actions that we take out of a reaction to longings of scarcity that we have. And we just, we feel insecure and we feel upset. And so we just lunge at things without even thinking and going, wait a second, I need to stop. And I need to think, what does humility look like right now? And, and, but, but I'm so angry and I feel so slighted and I feel so wronged. Okay, well, let me sit in that for a minute. Let me just sit in that. And let me, let me just embrace what that feels like. 
And maybe if I embrace what that feels like a little bit, I'll develop a resistance to it. And another desire, i.e. being like Jesus, will then be the dominant desire that will prevail over these other more base instincts that tend to throw me off course. Does that make sense? So, then I have the capacity to not only be constantly worried about where I, you know, all of my insecurities, but I'm like, no, nah, I'm good. See, and I, there's, there's almost like, again, as I said before, there's almost this like incredible desire that we have in, in society right now to be noticed and, and to just, exp- like, you have to express yourself. Like, where, I don't see in Scripture, like, nowhere in Scripture to say, you know, God's will for you is to express yourself. You know, let everybody know what's really going on inside. You know, like, let the whole world see you. And why don't I want the whole world to see me? I like the whole world to see Jesus in me, but I don't want the whole world to see me. I'm not that great. But there's people out there just, just reach inside and let everyone know, you know, you know get out your, your inner anger and your inner voice and your inner whatever and let everyone around you and show them who you are and yeah. And, and, and so the thing about that is like, what if the scorecard was different? Because when I read the scripture and what Jesus did, it's totally different. What if we changed the game so the scorecard was not how you could burden everyone else with all your problems and let everyone know how you've been slighted and you've had injustice done to you and you deserve all of this stuff and you know, crying out. What if the scorecard shifted from that to being someone who is able to actually not only carry your own problems, but bear the burdens of others and bear them in silence? The term quiet professional, I've heard recently to refer to, and it's kind of a military term, to people that have been like highly trained, like special ops kind of guys, and they are incredibly good at what they do, and they're incredibly self-sacrificing, and they're incredibly quiet. And you almost take a certain amount of, I shouldn't say pride, but you, but you dig into and start to evaluate yourself based on how little people know about all that you've done and how little people know about the various wonderful acts of service that you've done. You just keep doing things and you forget about them. And that becomes your source of, again, not selfish pride, but your road ahead and your evaluator of your progress and your own maturity. And because we see this, look, it says in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset. So in your relationships, this is verse five, it'd be like Jesus who was God, didn't consider equality with him something to be used to his own advantage. But he made himself nothing. And you see all of this stuff. In verse eight at the very end, becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. And why? Because that's what we wanted him to do? No, because that's what we needed him to do. And he never tell, he would, he would give little signals like, hey, I'm going away. And there's gonna be some things. But he never made it like, oh, he never guilted anybody. He just had a sense of purpose that was ultimately sacrificed. And that made him what? Weaker? No, stronger. And when we do that, we just develop this, again, this quiet strength that is so counter to the, oh, everyone look at me. This is so weak. Everyone's like, I'm offended. I'm outraged. And, I, and again, I'm, just, I'm not trying to like beat up on you, but if you're someone that uses the phrase, I'm offended a lot, 
do, do an experiment. Try to go a week and not say the phrase, I'm offended. You want it, and, and, and rather step back and go, maybe I can evaluate that. What, am I, what do I really mean? Like, maybe the way they handled that, maybe the way that person handled that was not very good. Maybe that, that outcome could have been better. But when you say, I'm offended, what you're saying is someone else did something and I am emotionally incapable of containing how, uh, you know, how terrible I feel. No, just go, well, that kind of, that was no good, but that person could. But see, when you're, you're a victim, if you're, I'm offended. Yeah, grow up a little bit, man. Seriously, drop that out of your vocabulary. To me, it's an embarrassing phrase. Whenever I hear it, I'm always like, ugh. It's like, anyway. And I'm not trying to be, I'm just being honest. Now, here's the thing. When you act this way, it makes you stronger, not weaker. How do I know? I met an amazing, amazing guy last week. Amazing dude. I was at um, March Air Reserve Base where I'm a chaplain in the Reserve, Air Force Reserve, as you, many of you know. And I was asked by my commander to make a little presentation on how we do leadership in the nonprofit sector to all of his top commanders and chiefs and whatnot. About uh, 7,500 people there. It was great fun. It was really a great honor for me. I was like the lowest ranking officer in there. I had the opportunity to talk to all of these colonels and whatnot about how we lead and encourage them. And while I was there, they had another guy get up. And this guy, I put him on the screen. I had a chance to meet him. This is Lieutenant Colonel Retired Jeff Peterson. If you're familiar with the Lone Survivor movie, it's a movie about the four Navy SEALs who go on a mission and it kind of goes south and they get in a firefight with all these Taliban and they just, they kill a whole bunch of them, but they, they got overrun because there's hundreds of these guys. There's only four of them. And three out of the four get killed. The one guy, the lone survivor, Marcus Luttrell, he ends up evading capture for several days in the mountainous, treacherous terrain of Afghanistan right near the Pakistan border. And he ends up getting, um, you know, uh, he gets to a village and this guy takes him in and then kind of helps him um, fend off the Taliban uh, leader that wants to kill Marcus Luttrell. And the whole time the U.S. is mounting up a rescue mission. And there, there, there was a helicopter and it crashed and there, all the guys died. It was a terrible thing. But in the whole process of this, this guy, Air Force helicopter pilot, reserve, is out there and he gets put on the mission to go rescue Latrell. And he is the helicopter pilot who actually rescued him. And he was talking about the, the, the mission. And he says that there's two helicopters that went in. There's a whole bunch of like gunships and stuff. And like they had these lit up the whole mountain all around the surrounding area to get, away, to get rid of all the bad guys. And they're coming in. And then he was in the back helicopter and the other guy was in the front helicopter. And he's like, I didn't really worry too much because it was going to be this guy was going to go in and then I was going to hover. But then at the very last second, he, they changed it. And he said, this guy's going to go up and, and hover, and then I was going to go in. He's like, oh, shoot. He was kind of like, this is a big deal, right? So he's flying in, and what happened was they got the intel on it. At first, the, the terrain was kind of like a, there was crop, I think it was like poppy fields or whatever, so, so it was kind of green looking. But when they actually got to the site, it was brown because the crops had been taken out or whatever, and so now it's just dirt 
And we know what dirt's like because we live in the dirt, right? And so, so when the helicopter comes in and the rotors are coming down, what does it do to the dirt? So now he's totally blinded. So he's on the side of a cliff, basically, a side of a hill with these steep mountain terrains, and he's totally blind in this big giant helicopter on this crazy daring rescue mission with all these crazy enemies and everything else. He comes in, he's totally blind, and the door opens. And, and he's like this guy in the back like yelling at him to move the helicopter over because the, it, they're, they're swerving this way and they're about to hit a mountain. And so it's just chaos. It's all chaos. And he says in that moment, he says, you know, he's, of course, he's, he's going out. He's thinking about his, his wife and his kids. And he's thinking about, he's looking after his own interests, but he's looking out to the interests of others. And he's developed the discipline to sit in the moment and the tension of going, I feel, I feel vulnerable. I feel scared. I may never see my family again, but I've developed the ability to sit in that moment and sink back into my training, right? And that's what he was saying. It's all about the training. So he's just relying on his training as an expert helicopter pilot in these crazy blind conditions. And they drop the door and the, so Luttrell comes out with these other um, Afghan guys. They don't know who they are at first. They almost killed all of them because they thought they were rushing them. And they realized, no, they're just getting them on the helicopter. So they get them on the helicopter and they, they, they begin to make their escape. But the whole time he's, he's, he's got all this stuff going through his mind, but he says, I just focused on my training because he had learned how to be someone who could, who could absorb the feeling of giving to someone else and giving himself over to something that was more important than he was. And when they made it to the other side and they got out of there and they landed and he said, he said everybody got off the helicopter, but he was the pilot, right? And he said, it's like, ah, and he said his, his hands just started shaking like this from all the adrenaline. It was so much adrenaline. And he, couldn't, he couldn't stop just, just getting all that adrenaline out of his system because it was so intense. There were several things that I got from his story. Number one, he said, the reason they went in in the first place was because they knew there could have been a lone survivor because there was clicking on the radio. There was no voice, but there was clicking. And the clicking was enough, was enough it's like there was a sign of life. If there's a sign of life, we have to go in. We have to rescue. We have to try. And you and I have people in our lives right now, and they're, and they're suffering like crazy. Broken relationships and, and bad decisions and just out of joint with the one who made them. But there's signs of life. And humility says, I'm going to value you more than me. I'm going to do what I can to show you God's love, to disperse a little bit of my cash, and disperse a little bit of my time, and disperse a little bit of my control, because there's a sign of life out there. But the second thing he said to me was he said, or he said to the group, was he said, you know, we didn't get any medals. He says, no big deal. I'm just telling you. It's like, yeah, we just kind of, almost like kind of funny. Like, yeah, we didn't get any medals for the whole thing, because... It was a classified mission. I don't know how all that works, actually, but that's just what he said. Something about it being classified so they didn't get medals. And I thought about that. Some of you right now, you're doing amazing stuff. And it's all background behind the scenes. No one sees. My wife is like that. She does all this stuff behind the scenes. And she's, she's so, so background. But it's hard because maybe you're sacrificing and you're working so hard and, and, so you, you, and you're like, I know, I don't want all this attention, but, but is anyone ever going to see? Because other people are doing the same thing I'm doing and, and it's at work or at home or whatever and, 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 they, and they see, other people see what they're doing and they, they're giving them all this praise and, and I feel like I'm doing all this stuff and no one sees. 
And you know what it could be for you? That you're doing amazing stuff and God sees it. But he's going, listen, you're on a classified mission right now. Your mission's classified. And where I have you and where I want you is clandestine. It's not my will right now for everyone to see all that you've done. But you just keep doing what you're doing because you're making a difference. You keep doing what you're doing because you are living out humility and you are going the right path. And I know that no one's validated that in a while. That's okay, it's classified. Be cool. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. Because someday, it's gonna be declassified in heaven. Someday, what was done here in secret will be brought to light. So you hang in there. Just because no one knows doesn't mean it's not effective. Doesn't mean it's not important. Doesn't mean it's not the will of God. You hang in there. And let's keep being strong and resilient people who are excellent neighbors so that no one will ever question the existence or love of God, especially as translated through his son, Jesus. Let's pray. God, for those today who are sitting here and they've never met you, they've never encountered you, they've never given their lives to you, I pray right where they are, they would just say to you, they'll call out to you in their hearts. They say, God, if this is who you are, I want that. If this is your heart, I need to take hold of it. I pray that right where they are, they would just ask you to be their forgiver, to be their savior. Say, Jesus, today I give my life to you. And I want to live like you. I want to die to myself and begin that journey of following the one who made me and who made me to be like him. God, thank you for those who you are calling through this church every single week, calling to a new relationship with you, a new start, a new identity, a new hope. All that sin is left behind because of a humble Savior. And God, for the rest of us who forget in a world that is so obsessed with self, that we would change the scorecard because there's signs of life out there and eternity is real and the pattern you gave us is real. God, may we be men and women who delight in acting like you quietly. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. Why not ask God to change your life so you can go and change your world for Him? To find out more about our church online, go to www.compasschurch.info and we'll see you next time.